People, get ready to explore in a way you never have before with the Defender 110. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design, a reimagined exterior, a robust interior, a superior off-road capability. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. It has powerful innovations like intuitive driver display. Whether you're headed to uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration, the Defender 110 is up to the challenge. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, look, I'm sure you take a lot of vitamins. Maybe you take a daily multivitamin. Maybe you take ones to boost your immunity or ones to help with alertness. What about your cells? Are you giving your cells the full nutrition they need, especially as we age? I am, thanks to Solgar. Solgar is part of my daily routine, thanks to their cellular nutrition line. Give yourself a daily collection of nutrients designed to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more and use promo code MarkMarin, all one word, to get 20% off. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckadelics? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. If you're new here, I, I I feel like I feel like every once in a while, people are new, and it's important to welcome them to the fold, or welcome them to the episode, or welcome them as a fan of my guest. So uh, hang out, have a seat, say hi to the regulars. Hey, if you do live in Los Angeles or you're going to be around or you want to make a special trip to watch me ramble, I'll be at Largo on Thursday, June 8th uh, for a stand-up show and Friday, July 1st for the music and stand-up show. I'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on Saturday, June 10th and also on Saturday, June 24th for stand-up ramblings to kind of go over the stuff, to share what's happening in the uh, in my mind, to move through some ideas, see if I can get any jokes. I've been enjoying the jokes lately. I've been enjoying kind of just doing a, a kind of laid-back groove and seeing how the words work on their own without any pressure to do anything. I'm in a zone right now where I'm like, hey, if I don't do another special ever, fine. I'm just going to enjoy whatever craft that I've put together for myself since 1987. Wow. Today on the show, I talked to uh, Veer Das. He's a comedian from India. He's well known in India uh, for both his comedy and his roles in popular films. And uh, here in the U.S., you can see his stand-up specials on Netflix. And he's also on tour this summer. But you might have heard about uh, a thing he did back in 2021 when he did a monologue called Two Indias uh, at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Started a little controversy. We'll get into that. Uh, I watched the specials and I enjoyed it. So I had an interesting few days, I believe. And I've been thinking about what makes me me. Not in a weird self-centered way, just in in, in terms of... Uh, a getting older way, because I feel like I'm on the precipice of actually tipping into a different time in my life. I'm not saying I'm not going to say old or that I'm over the hill or anything, but 
as I've mentioned before, some things are dissipating. There's some uh, fucks not given that are happening. And it's okay. I, th- I think it comes with, with getting older if you're lucky enough to, to get older. And also, I've just been thinking about my job, about what I do, not just stand-up, but this, and just how far I am from the average person's experience. How, Because Kit, my girlfriend, is in the work world, and it's difficult. It's difficult every day for so many people that, that have to do things that they really don't want to do uh, to get by and to sort of sustain their life and to to sort of have a life. And I need to check myself and, and make sure I empathize uh, with that with that situation. Look, I spent a lot of years struggling in a lot of ways uh, and in, in in a lot of different on a lot of different levels. but I've, I've managed to find a level that's working. But my struggle was never the struggle of doing something I didn't want to do because I had no choice. So I've been thinking about my job, about my jobs, primarily stand-up, podcast personality, broadcaster, actor, and just thinking about different parts of my personality. Like the, the, the one that's come into question, I'll try to explain it to you because I don't, I don't consider myself a pathological narcissist. I believe that my father probably was and is at times, but what does it really mean? I mean, you know, pathological narcissists are kind of rare and it's a disturbing disposition that lacks empathy and conscience and self-reflection. Now, that is not me, but I have elements of narcissism that I've been thinking about because I think it it actually serves me and my job. And I think everybody has a certain amount of selfishness uh, if they're successful in what they do or they're just trying to get by. There's a there's a, a, a certain amount of of necessary delusion, necessary denial and, and sort of necessary self-centeredness to just forge on on a day to day basis. But I have this moment where I started to think about other people in my life that like I feel, I can feel connected to somebody fairly quickly. And I don't know what it's based on. Uh, I don't know if it's based on a reality, uh, if there really is a connection or it's something that my brain is making up. And and the reason I'm talking about this is that a guy uh, came into my life again recently. And it just, it shed some light on, on something. You know, this kid, I've known this kid, uh, Alan, uh, I'll just use his first name since he, I, I think since he was probably eight or 10 years old, his family and my family were friends when we were growing up. He's about six years younger than me. And I knew him and his younger sister and his parents. I used to work for his father in a clothing store that his father owned, but I just knew I, it, he's a kid. I knew like, I, I feel like my whole life we'd been through some stuff. You know, he started doing comedy when he was like 17 or 18. And uh, you know, and I was doing comedy at that point. And then he kind of, I think realized that he didn't really have what it took to kind of stay in the game. And then his life kind of like went different directions. And I'd see him here and there in different uh, degrees of, of crisis at times. And I threw him a line when he was in New York and I, I moved him up to, I told him to move up to Boston and live in my house to, to get out of the fray of potential problems. And then I never, I just kind of lost touch with the kid, 
but this is a guy I knew when he was a kid and I knew him well and I know his being, which is really what it comes down to, his being. Like I was connected to this guy emotionally as a friend and as, you know, as a person. And, you know, he started doing comedy. I just, you know, when you know somebody in, in a, a kind of deep way, a soul way, for, for whatever reason, you know, usually it's somebody, you, you know, when you're younger or you just, you have a connection to somebody or they're part of your life for a, a period of time. And then you just, you lose touch for whatever reason. And I'd heard bits and pieces of, uh, about this kid from, from here and there, but not much. And I knew that his life, you know, didn't really go easy and, and you know, had difficulties uh, you know, he got married. I, I heard he had a kid, but I heard he was selling mattresses. There was different points uh, of time. And and recently, you know, he reached out and he's living here, not far away from me. And I don't think I've really seen the guy, you know, for like 20 years, uh, more, probably more. And I'm telling you, man, you know, this guy was Mishpoka. This guy was family in, in, in a deep way. And it was kind of, I said, look, man, because he said he was kind of poking around doing comedy now a little bit. And, you know, he's living up, you know, in San Berdu. And, uh, you know, he's got a job up there. And, and I was a little nervous. I was like, look, man, why don't you come down? We'll go to the comedy store. We'll hang out. We'll catch up. I had no idea what to expect because I'd heard like rough, rough things, like things, that, you know, got, got rough for him. And that happens to everybody. We all go through rough patches and, and sometimes we don't surface, you know, you know, people in your life, they, they, they get out in the weeds and, and, and they don't come back really, or not totally, or not fully, or, you know, they come back and, and, and something, they get hard, man. I mean, that's the, that's the scary thing, right? Is that, you know, somebody, you know, somebody well, they're like family and you don't see them for a while. And, you know, some, something, something is has, has a light has gone out. Something has calcified in their soul. Something has made them hard, has broke their spirit, has, has made them, uh, you know, fundamentally a different person because they no longer have access to the, uh, to the openness or to the optimism or to the, the, the excitement of uh, life ahead of them. Something has, has, has fizzled out and it's heartbreaking. And I didn't, I didn't know what to expect because, you know, look, I've been through some shit and you don't know, you know, I'm sure many of you in whatever life you're, you're living has been on the precipice of losing a chunk of who you are because life fucking broke you, man. Life crushed you and you can't uncrush it and you can't move forward carrying the crush the crushing and you live in reaction to that. You live in the shadow of your broken spirit and you may not be able to do anything about that. And that's just life for a lot of us, at least for periods of time. So this kid, Alan, he's not a kid anymore. He's in his fifties. Like he comes over and, you know, and I saw him and I got very emotional. I fought back tears. I don't know why I decided to do that. Why I didn't let them happen. Because right when I saw the guy, I was like, he's not, he's not hard. You know, he's not, it didn't break him. 
Like I saw the kid I always knew in there and he wasn't that far from the surface. You know, it was all intact no matter what his life was. I mean, it may not be going well in his mind or it may, you know, he might've had other, you know, whatever. I, I was totally anticipating a guy that was lost, that lost himself. And whether he thinks he did or not, I saw the kid I always knew and I felt the emotional connection we always had. And I, I, I was uh, thrilled to, to see it and reconnect and have those emotional feelings. And over the course of the evening, we both kind of acknowledged him and had them and we caught up. He had been following my life a little bit and then he filled me in on his difficult um, things, but he wasn't unable to find humor in it and he wasn't able to find, you know, goodness in it. And uh, yeah, it'd been hard, but he's okay. But the the fundamental thing is that thing, that fire, that thing, whatever we were connected, however we were connected when we were kids or younger was still totally intact and it didn't erase time. But I realized something in that moment that I can have that feeling about people in my life, you know, people, contemporaries of mine, people that, you know, I was doing doing comedy with early in my life where like my emotional, because of whatever inability to compartmentalize or lack of boundaries or strange upbringing I had that made me emotionally needy, uh, you know, I would latch on and connect to people very deeply, fairly quickly and without them maybe even knowing it. So I was asking myself, well, is it narcissistic in, in the way that like a lot of these guys that I've known my whole life, but I don't talk to for years and years and we're not friends. I don't get invited to weddings. I don't get invited to dinners, but like, you know, people I started in comedy with who I feel, I hold them in my mind and in my heart, uh, as the person I knew when I first, you know, began a friendship with that person or a relationship with that person. And I keep them in that place in my mind and in my heart. And that doesn't lack empathy, but when, when I, I feel like they're part of me. That part of who they were is part of me. And I expect that they're going to be that way the whole time. And I, I approach them like, you know, we're, we're bonded forever. And a lot of people just move on with their life. But because of that, I think even people that I've only met once or twice or don't know very well, they come on this show and I make, I have these deep emotional connections because I feel like they're part of me because of something that may have happened 20 years ago. And I haven't even talked to them. But I think it's sort of the key to sort of to, to what I do here, because I believe I know people, but it's not in some sort of parasocial interaction way. I know that we're not friends. I know that we, you know, that they're not talking directly to me when they're in a movie. But I really make these assumptions that, you know, they're they're sort of part of me. They're not an extension of me, but they are connected to me. And I kind of move into things with that assumption almost immediately. And then I kind of adapt to whoever they've become or whoever they are. It's helped me. I'm not even sure it's pathological. The point is, it was very emotionally gratifying and moving that, you know, that, you know, this guy and I, who I hadn't seen, you know, 20 some odd years, maybe 30 years, you know, the connection was still, you know, very alive and very strong. And I don't know how often I'll see him, but I was just, um, it was moving to me. And now I, I just have to stay engaged if that's what I, I, I want to do. But it's so weird, man. Uh, getting older or just having a life where, you know, friends come and go. Sometimes you have falling out with people and sometimes you don't even know why. And, you know, that's happened recently. A friend of mine has just, you know, completely shut me out of his life. And, you know, I, I don't know if we were close or what, but I don't know what that means as you get older. Usually when you're really close with somebody, it goes way back. 
as you get older. I mean, you make new friends and stuff, but those way back ones are the ones that uh, are kind of a constant. They are part of your emotional fabric. And this kid, Alan, you know, he was, you know, he looked up to me and he saw me through all my different phases of comedy one way or the other, certainly early on. But he hadn't seen me recently. He doesn't have cable and what, whatever. But he came to the comedy store and uh, he watched me do two sets. And after the second set, he goes, I don't get it, man. When did you become likable? How did that even happen? How did that even happen? You're likable now. It's crazy. And uh, I took that as a compliment. You know, why wouldn't I? Right? It was really a, a, a exciting, moving kind of weekend and in, in, in the life, you know, that's all. So Veer Das, he's got U.S. tour dates throughout the summer. You can go to, uh, to veerdas.in, that's I-N, like India, veerdas, like V-I-R-D-A-S. You can check out his tour dates there. Also check out his specials on Netflix. His most recent one is called Landing. And uh, it was nice meeting this guy. It was nice talking to him. And it was nice uh, watching him work on the television. This is me and uh, Virdas hanging out. You don't live here, isn't that right? No, man. Mumbai and then a uh, little town called Goa, which is right outside Mumbai. You don't have a place in New York? No. No? No. Mumbai. Mumbai, and then uh, like a 45-minute flight away from Mumbai is uh, like a little beach town. And that's where you live? Yeah. That's where you get the sand? That's where I get the sand. (laughs) That's where you get the sand you carry around the world? Uh, Well, one little Ziploc bag of sand that I carry around. Oh, so you don't, it's a... But don't you have to decide how much sand you're going to need for the number of gigs you have to do? Well, it was... For the special, we carried a specific amount. Right. But then you actually cannot take that much sand across the world because it's illegal. Right? What, what's, what is the, uh, the legality? What is the, the law about sand? Well, I think it's, you can carry like, probably like a little mini Ziploc bag about that much. But then for this special, because there were four guys coming in from India, I had to get them all to get <laughs> sand. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, like it's contraband, like it's, <laughs> like it's drugs. And then we joined our sand. You did? Yeah, you got did. it all together? Because yeah. you needed to, what'd you do, four shows, two shows? I filmed two. Yeah. All right. So you needed a bit of sand. I, I liked the sand. I didn't know where the sand bit was going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I knew it had to be touching. I knew, I didn't, I didn't think it was some gimmick. They kept cutting back to the sand. There'd be these yeah. close-ups of the sand. Yeah. And then at the end, we get the sand. Well, that was me on the edit. So yeah. yeah. So I, I kept trying to, just in case you forgot. You uh, put sand on the ground. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to keep checking in. <laughs> in case you missed the gigantic set, <laughs> which was in every shot. Yeah, I, I uh, but 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 you did you did wait till the end to just uh, explain it and then pay it off, right? Yeah. I watched that special. I watched the I watched some of the uh, bits and pieces of the other ones. I watched the two Indias, mm-hmm. and I wa- but I, it's interesting. I'm just in a, in a world now at my age yeah. where I don't know. Uh, I don't know you kids. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, 43, so it's good to be called a kid. <laughs> Thank you for that. But like, you know, I, I, I had heard about you and then I'm like, you know, he's got four fucking specials on that. How do I not know him? You just get to a point where I don't, I can't know everybody. Do you know you and me have met before, but like very fleetingly. Oh, here we but, go. What did I do? Was uh, I? No, you were nice. Okay, good. Uh, so it was at the improv 
Here? Uh, yeah. Uh, on Melrose. Oh, I'm hardly ever there. So I, that must, when was that? Uh, maybe like five years ago, six okay. years ago. So I just started working in the States. Yeah. And I think they'd given me like my first solo like oh, uh, night, uh, uh, night at, yeah. in the main room. Yeah. Right. And then I think uh, you and your band were playing like the later show or something. Oh, I was playing. Uh, it was one of those shows where I can't. I, Greg Barrent or somebody. They used to host a show where you tell a story and play a song. Yeah. Kind of, I th- oh, right. I remember. Yeah. I remember. So that you were upstairs in the green room yes. just tuning a guitar. Right. And I think you were tuning like a Strat. Yeah. Or something. That's like possible. That. And uh, I went up there and I just gotten done. Yeah. And uh, we just very fleetingly looked at each other and you were like, that's a lot of Indian people. <laughs> and I was like, that's a nice guitar. And then we just both left because we had stated facts. <laughs> and and that's, that's when we last saw each other. Well that's, well, that's an interesting thing to me. Like, I, you know, I have to, I have to be careful because I, I, I forever live in some shame for how I, uh, I interviewed Mindy Kaling. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because I, I have this fascination with India, but it's very shallow. Okay, it's, it's really sure. based on 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 colors and food. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean, but but I I've always wanted to go, but I'm afraid to go. But isn't it a little hip? Like, I mean, my fascination of, on America is based on Van Wilder and Game of Thrones, right? right? When I show up, so it's equally shallow at some level, right? When I we, guess so. But I, know, I I always feel like I should I should know more, and I don't. I know I know it was colonized, and there's tension, and yeah. the thing with Pakistan is not great, even though you share some breads. Yeah, um, we're the same people essentially. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. <laughs> But uh, but I always feel like uh, if you're going to talk about wanting something or being interested in something, you should you should activate that interest. Yeah, sure. You I, know, I mean, you could you'd fit right in. Oh, really? Like in if, India? If you showed up, you'd fit right in. I promise you. You you kind of like. You're chill. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm chill. I'd be a little panicky. I'd be scared I would get sick. That, that's the other thing about, about India is like people go, it's, it's great. You're going to get sick for like seven days. <laughs> but after that, you're going to have a really nice time. Well, it depends on what you do, right? Like, so don't show up and like fucking go straight to the street vendor and eat that <laughs> shit, right? Like, like meet an Indian, go to their fucking house, have a home cooked meal first. Yeah. Like get your body ready. Acclimated. Acclimated a little bit. <laughs> but like I... Uh, I produced a like a comedy festival yeah. some years ago, and I had like six LA comics come down, right? Okay. And they showed up with peanut butter in their suit. Who? Who's this? Who's these comics? Uh, they were like Laugh Factory comics. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> like yeah, I would probably know them, but they but they were nervous, so they brought. They, they were super nervous, so they brought food. And I'm like, we have fucking bread. <laughs> That's <laughs> definitely true. That's you know, one of the best things you guys have. <laughs> it's those breads and peanut butter yeah. and. Within one day, these guys had abandoned everything in their suitcase yeah. and were eating anything and everything. Right, and they didn't get sick. They didn't get sick. No, oh. it depends. Like, I would say Mumbai, Delhi, all the big cities, you're gonna be just fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but what else? What also struck me is that, like, I'm watching the specials, and there's it's, there, oh, there's a lot of materials definitely not for me. I know. Yeah, and I don't mind it. Yeah, and, but but it makes me go like, I wish I got that joke. But. But I, I, I had a realization this morning that you're not really you're not trying to you know get over on on America really no and and that you are performing for Indians yeah and but but you are uh, something that many most Americans aren't and I am not either you're you're sort of a global citizen I definitely that's definitely the goal at least I don't know if I'm there yet yeah but what would it take. I don't know. I did. I did twenty nine countries last year. You mm-hmm. know. So so in that sense, touch wood, it's going well. But 
No, I, I, I think there is like a palatable version of like the Indian who exists in America. And yeah. that's been part who, of who your... Who would that be as a comic? Like, I think Hassan Minaj would be that. And like for fiction, maybe Mindy Kaling okay. would be, you know, yeah, that, that's the I universe that you yeah. exist in. But I I certainly don't belong in that universe. You know? Be because you don't try to be. No, I don't. Right. I don't. Yeah. I have an authentic voice, you know, right. and... And for years, this accent has been the punchline uh, in that comedic world. Sure. You know, it's it's my conservative Indian dad, and then they do my accent. Yeah. And that's what gets the laugh. But it's funny because those two, those two examples mm -hmm. are, are ambitiously craving American acceptance. I think so. I think so. You know, so that like, you know, they are not, I don't think they deny their, their ethnicity, but they, you know, they are both focused on the American prize. Well, yes, but also because uh, what other audience do they go for? You know, uh, it's not like the billion uh, people that live in India are watching the Mindy right. Kaling show on Netflix, right? It's, yeah, it, okay, you, yeah. we, we, we release seven movies a weekend in, in, in <laughs> India, you know, so we have shit to watch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we're kind of busy in, in that sense. You seem busy in every sense over there. It seems That's very what, busy. Yeah, it's... it's uh, the country and you. It's it's a hell of an energy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm attracted to it. So, so in essence, you're saying that that you're in completely encultured Indian without any any desire to be different. It was just a matter of of bringing all Indians together in a sense, even American Indians. I think so, and and also, I I, I got taught it the hard way, right? Like the first few years, you start touring the world. You're, you're trying to you know, cater a little bit. So you're trying to do a okay, pander, you mean? Pander a little bit. Yeah. yeah, sure. Like, so what is the, what do Americans think about Indians? And let me do jokes. Yeah, let me about study, those five things. let me study Russell Peters. Sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> but let me do five <laughs> jokes about quick marts and, yeah. uh, and Apu and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And then like a Netflix comes along and a YouTube comes along and you realize, oh shit, they're watching stuff. So now that everybody is, you everybody know. is. So yeah. that, that shtick where, Oh, Americans don't know anything about outside America. That's not really valid anymore. They're yeah. watching a bunch of shit. So it it kind of becomes more important to do you and to take them someplace else. Like what else? It's, it's also, it, it's sort of, uh, it's more, it, it's almost more, I, I, I don't know the word democratic, but it's, it's uh, authentically inclusive. I think so. So, so what happens is despite them knowing or not, they're learning about other cultures in an honest way. I, I don't know anything, Mark, about Ohio, right? I've never been to Ohio, but... You can go. I, I, yeah, sure. But, like, uh, if, if I watch a Chappelle special, yeah. he's talking about it, right? I don't know his... Well, Chappelle's Ohio, is that... Is it, that's... <laughs> that's a, yeah. I, I own a town. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> They're all very grateful. And my neighbor and me are fighting or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But but I'll still go, right? Sure. Uh, on that journey. Sure. Knowing nothing. Of course. So, so why can't I take you back to Mumbai? Yeah. Do I have to talk to you about the Indian in Ohio or the Indian in New Jersey? No, you know? no, I get it. I, I, I think that that going to Mumbai is fine with me, but, yeah. you know, there's some things that, not unlike Ohio, which yeah. is not a great example, that I'm really never going to understand because it's sure. about growing up there. And But to me, it harks back to, like, the... Remember the George Lopez specials where there were certain things that were just for his For people? Mexicans, yeah, yeah, no, you know? for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I love watching it. I yeah. mean, I because to me, it's exciting that... There, there are other voices and there are large communities yes. that are being represented because, you know, when I read about the history of comedy and the history of my people, yeah. the European Jew, mm -hmm. that, you know, one of the ways that they, they sought to assimilate 
was, and, and also to strengthen their communities within the assimilation was through performing. Yeah. And boxing and a lot of other stuff. It's kind of interesting. Jewish boxers? There were Jewish boxers in the 20s, a lot of them. Wow. That, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. that's not something I've, I've ever heard before. Well, that's right, because, you know, we all, we all have stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah, but there were some pretty tough Jews around. Nice, man. Yeah, come on. James Kahn was a tough Jew. He's always yeah. my go-to example for a tough Jew. <laughs> Look yeah. at Israel. Full of tough Jews. I'm True. scared of them. And uh, <laughs> so a lot of uh, Goa, where I live, it's this tiny beach yeah. town, right? And yeah. Goa is just full of foreigners. And it's yeah. kind of like this hippie, you know, oh, really? haven they, from they across come, the... They come. Yeah. And, and so it's a lot of Russians and a lot of ex-Mossad. Really? Who were just the toughest fucking guys yeah. on the planet. They really they're are. They're just hanging out? Yeah, they're just hanging and out. And someone says, like, those guys, they the, used to be the Mossad. And don't, don't fuck with don't. them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so has that town been a hippie town since back in the day? It has. Oh, really? So yeah. that was, you got the first influx of, uh, uh, you know, meditation-seeking hippies in the late 60s, mid-60s? The quote-unquote find-yourself people. <laughs> they came, because you talk yeah. about it in the yeah. act a bit. Yeah. Did they stay? They stayed. So, so there's parts of Goa, like really north, where, you know, there are hippie communes and beaches and stuff like that. But that like with several generations, you're talking like, you know, like there's some old-ass hippies, like some 80-year-old oh, sure. hippies? Yeah, like my wife has a, a Tai Chi teacher who's like a German hippie called Martin yeah. who's, who's 82 and comes and teaches us Tai Chi <laughs> right? but you know he's done every drug under the planet sure and I think he his big claim to fame is he brought karate to Goa in the 70s yeah you know yeah uh, so do you do Tai Chi I don't I watch my wife do it and don't understand it you don't understand it no I I need something that moves quicker yeah well I mean for exercise right yeah but Tai Chi yeah I talked to Lori Anderson I, I think I ha I think I get it yeah yeah I do I think you're, you're holding energy you're moving it around I, I did you gotta like, believe man I, I did one lesson and he's like I don't feel like you're moving slow enough <laughs> yeah you gotta tap into the chi thing yeah, it's man. a universal energy did you grow up with spirituality no religion I, nothing I grew up, so I was born in India, but then we left for Africa. So I was actually raised in, in Lagos, Nigeria. Really? Yeah. So when I was two months old, my what dad was, yeah. my dad got a job. Uh, and, in Nigeria? In Nigeria. As a, what's your dad do? Uh, my dad is a businessman. He's a consultant. But back then, I come from a family of diplomats, right? So my yeah. grandfather was in the foreign service and in the government. Okay. And everybody kind of expected my dad to go... That way? That way, and he kind of wanted more yeah. and to see the world a bit. So yeah. he he ended up taking this job in this food processing factory in mm. Lagos, Nigeria, and yeah. eventually started his own business. But yeah, no, they have a classic, uh, almost annoyingly humble story where they they left privilege in New Delhi and kind of moved into one room in Lagos, Nigeria. And your mom, what'd she do? My mom was a housewife then. And How many kids? Uh, two. Elder sister and me. All right. And then mom went back to college when she was 40. Yeah. And now is uh, she heads the UN Wildlife Cell in India. So she's Wildlife what? Uh, cell. So oh, like okay. The, so she's oh, the head so of business in, development for... For wildlife, what, conservation? For or? conservation, yeah. Really? Yeah. What What is the focus in India? What are the animals? Um. Well, she was heavily focused on tigers and dolphins. Yeah. Like India's a big tiger reserve right now. Yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah. Most That's of the tigers in the world are actually in India. Yeah, I give money and, and Texas, ironically. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. There's also, but there's the the North Carolina Tiger Rescue, yeah. which I uh, I I uh, uh, give money to because I went there. In in Texas, aren't they just in people's backyards? Well, that's right, and then they end up at the North Carolina Tiger Rescue because yeah. idiots buy tigers, and then you know when they're young, and then when they grow up, they're like, "There's a fucking tiger in my house." <laughs> <I know>. and then, <laughs> 
and if you've ever seen one of those animals up close man you realize just how much could go wrong oh, how quickly sure yeah don't use them for your act and don't <laughs> keep them as pets <laughs> i know <laughs> I, i went to uh, this temple in in thailand and my i was on my way there and my mom said you can't go there where you get to hang with tigers oh, yeah. and it's this monastery yeah and then she told me that they're drugging the tigers so they sedate the tigers so that you can go and take a selfie with oh, them and, yeah. and pet them but It's a huge animal, you Big, know. Man, did you go though? No, I didn't oh. go. I didn't go. So you're in Nigeria for how yeah. long? Um, parents were there for 17 years. Oh my god. So you grew up there. I grew up there, but I got sent to boarding school when I was 8 in India. Now, was that Now, do you remember Nigeria and uh, do you remember it well? It, it, we're very sort of very select memories bits. yeah because see like this is the thing about like being an american in a weird way is that it seems that you know people in any any other part of the world yeah except maybe the the other larger you know except well not but even russia i mean we don't have you know we vacation in america most yeah, of the, yeah. do, you know what i mean yeah or, or we go to hawaii or what maybe mexico but it just seems that the experience of 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 coming from anywhere else you go other places Yeah, you do. Totally yeah. other country. I didn't. I can't even imagine what Nigeria is like. If you, did you go back? Yeah, like uh, during the summer. I went back three years ago uh, to perform in in Lagos, just do a show, and then I found my childhood home, uh, which was an insanely sort of. It's a lot smaller than I remember. Is it a, a big Indian community there? Big Indian community, but also like Nigerians and Indians are just the same people. Really, we're, we're over emotional, uh, dramatic people who have no <laughs> no middle setting. Hmm. You know, it's either yeah. very angry or very sad. Yeah, you know. Are you? But are you very angry sometimes? I'm. I've learned to kind of keep it in there and put it on stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It seems like you. That that some of the stuff you talk about, and even the way that you frame stuff, is uh, it's deep, it's thoughtful. You know, you're willing to uh, express, uh, expose yourself. You, you know, for the for the good of the collective. I mean, I I'm 16 years in, so I'm still kind of figuring it out. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I, well, yeah, but you'll keep doing that. You know, so I <laughs> I, th I think the pandemic helped me a little bit because I um, I started doing these shows called yeah. 10 on 10, which were outdoors. Yeah, right? so yeah. I, I just. Climb Where up. in Mumbai? In Goa. In Goa. So I. How, how big is the comedy scene there? In India, it's huge. Well, I mean, in Goa specifically. In, it was nothing. So, so I had to climb up a hill with yeah. a speaker and a microphone. Oh, it was just you. And then there's, you know, 45 people in the sunlight in a forest, and yeah. we're doing shows with each other. That's and I was nice. filming them. It's nice. It's a great vibe. But then you realize, oh, I can't just do jokes here. It has to be a little bit honest and yeah, because vulnerable. you got no. Uh, there's no context. No. You're, you're <laughs> Also, they yeah. just climbed up a hill for and half, and an they're, scared. they're scared. Everyone's, you know, uh, you know, there's a disease. There's a lot of things going on. So there has to be a little more humanity to this conversation sure. than than normal. And so, having to do that for a year, I think changed my voice a little bit. Yeah, because you know, because I, I noticed that it's tricky. It's tricky when you, you know, drift into something that can either appear, you know, too uh, uh, emotionally vulnerable or yeah. too self righteous. Yeah. Because you then, you know, there's a very fine line, you know, even if people are on board. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I just know I have to have something really fucking silly around the corner. Yeah, like, yeah, You know, yeah, with, yeah. like with this special, I, I think yeah. they're, they're two pretty emotional moments. But the rule with them was they can't last more than seven seconds and there better be something really stupid immediately <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a, to that's disarm the, it. That's the John Oliver format. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh. 
All right. So growing up, when do you start? I mean, you worked as a comic from what age? You've been doing it 16 years. So yeah. did you have another plan? Did you go to school for something else? I went to drama school. So the, the aim was always to make it to like Hindi movies and And, and do your that. folks were okay with that? They were unaware <laughs> for the first two years. So. I'm only saying that because in my experience of talking to Indian people, even Asian people, any, uh, you know, other than American people is that their parents are driven. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that there, there's certainly something in the culture. Well, I went to college in America, right? And, Where? And I went to Galesburg, Illinois. What is that? It is the mecca of civilization. <laughs> yeah, what, is that near Chicago? It's three hours out. Three hours, that's not near. No. And so you're in the middle of fucking Illinois? Cornfield College, Cornfield, one Maytag factory. One, a Maytag factory. Yeah, oh. one one Kmart, one JC Penny. Oh, like that's JC Penny. Yeah, that's the fine. <laughs> Kmart, Kmarts are gone. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I couldn't really afford to go there, but they gave me a big scholarship. How do you pick that school? Because they, they're known to support uh, international students. So, so you had to find that place. I had to find that. But did place. you have bad grades or? No, I I just didn't have the money. So oh. they they gave me. Uh, I think like a 95% scholarship, right? Yeah. So my parents had to kind of put together $6,000 a year. Yeah. So that I could come to college. Yeah. And, and then was I, it a good college? This is a really good college, like a liberal arts. And, um, you, and you were set, you were ready to learn. I was ready to learn to do econ. And then I had hmm. this professor after a beginning acting class that I took on a lark, just kind of call me into his office and be yeah. like, yo, you're, you're meant to do this. Radio? Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you say? What kind of class? Uh, beginning acting. Okay, oh, beginning acting. Sorry. And he's yeah. like, so just become a drama major, and I'll. Oh yeah. And so I kind of listened to him. Why did he? How did he decide that? What did he see? I don't know. His name was Ivan Davidson, and I did the class. I got an A in drama. In drama, in beginning acting, and then the next term, the college was doing War and Peace. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna give you one of the leads, without you auditioning. Yeah. But just. I believe in you. Huh. And just for the next three years, shut up and take every course I tell you to take. Now, he didn't tell me to give up econ. I did that on my own. Yeah. I just didn't tell my dad for a year. Oh, okay. So after a year, I called him and I'm like, hey, I'm going <laughs> to be a drama major. Yeah. And my dad was like, okay, just finish econ as well. So oh. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. And you did okay in it? I got a 2.1 GPA. Okay. <laughs> in econ. Did not like econ. Did not like econ. And then uh, I found stand up my last year of college. At college? At college, yeah. What, was there a night or something? No, it was, so I, uh, in Africa, you only really get black American artists on TV. So I saw Bill Cosby himself, I saw Pryor, I saw Eddie Murphy, you know. They uh, choose that? It, yeah, it, it's, uh, so it, it's insane where on TV in Nigeria, you'll have like Sanford and Sons. Sure. You uh, can still find that here, but it's there's other options. But if you won't find a white sitcom on TV in Nigeria. Really? So it's just taking, you know, uh, American programming that appeals to them and putting it on TV. That's interesting. And so I saw like Richard Pryor and sure. Eddie Murphy and a bunch of other stuff. And Cosby himself. That's some special, yeah. That's a hell of a special. And then in college, the I think the Comedy Central half hours yeah. started to happen. Yeah. I remember watching those. Yeah. And then I was just, man, drama school was, uh, American drama school is, is a hell of a thing. It's a lot of sitting in a circle and crying and em sure. emo emoting with your shoulders. Yeah. And, you know, and. But you, you got, it sounds like you did the, you got the tools, you got I, the thing. I, I did the thing, but yeah. then I, I just was kind of rebellious. And so yeah. at the end of college, I wrote this 90 minute stand up piece. Yeah. And did it for 800 people. 
and it went okay but it was very like inside jokes for friends it wasn't stand up stand up yeah i just remember 90 minute 90 minute bit. it's a big big bit it's a big bit and uh but i just distinctly remember being on stage yeah and not feeling limited as opposed to theater where i always was on stage but felt limited by script collaboration sure but also i i would imagine that conversely you know having done the emoting yeah that that helped you feel a, a freedom of mind on stage as a stand up do you yeah. know like not feeling limited goes you know you're working towards i think when you do stand up to figure out how to own that stage up there you, you know for yourself yeah. like it's your place so i i bet you that doing all the uh, the emotive theater work probably got you comfortable though it did or or at least i think sometimes maybe not in a live show but in a special an audience can tell the difference between a stand up who's projecting emotion or accessing emotion right you know and sometimes sure. we just project but we don't access and theater yeah. teaches you to access yeah well, so that, if nothing that's that's very helpful sure and that was that was yeah it's interesting cuz like you know when you think about those two specials if you think about you know prior's live in concert and mm-hmm. and cosby's himself you know cosby's projecting prior's actually emoting yeah and prior's remembering on stage mm-hmm. you know and cosby's kind of projecting yeah he's a little more manipulative clearly much more than we ever anticipated yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but like in a horrendous way it's so hard to talk about him even but you can't dismiss that special because it had such a profound effect on so many of us and and it was also just very like that dentist bit i go back to that dentist bit all the time yeah. just in terms of structure structure yeah. callback yeah. everything but, yeah but and eddie murphy was like eddie murphy was so funny but it almost seemed like what is his what was his real voice it almost seemed for a while that there was like you know he was just being everything a comic is like that came before him was ironically i i think he was He always struck me as somebody who was very sensitive who was doing an alpha act. Right. Like if you watch Raw and Delirious, right. Um the memory stuff and the childhood stuff is actually very sensitive. Yeah. But there's this kind of He steps in with the the, the swagger. Bra- bravado yeah, alpha yeah, yeah. peacock sure. behavior sure. that to me reeks inauthentic. Oh yeah. Um, That's interesting. When I watch it in retrospect. Yeah. I I do a bit in one of my specials about being an alpha pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Like you know, there's a spectrum of alphas. I'm just on. Oh hell yeah! In, in comedy, especially. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you do that in college, and then what? Do you go back? Where do you? What do you? Do you go back to Mumbai or no? I, I or Nigeria. Were they still in Nigeria? I had a very a dramatic exit from America, where I again, I, again, yeah, I went to. Um, Harvard does this program with Russians like Oh, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. So, Wait, I had another guy on here that was part of that. What's that guy's name? Uh John Bernthal. Yeah, Bernthal was in that. Yeah. He so, did it. So I did that program and yeah. I think he might have gone to Moscow to study to he do did. the the 3 year program. Yeah. But um so I spent 6 months in Boston learning with those guys. Yeah, in, over at ART or? at ART. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it's uh it's a I, hell of a program. They you know, cuz really? they're brutal. It, it was great. Like After four years of drama school in Galesburg, like day one, the artistic director of the Moscow Arts Theatre comes out and he's just like, "Acting is very simple. Read script, believe script, do what the fuck you like." <laughs> you're like, "Thank you, <laughs> thank you." I'll set. I just spent a hundred grand <laughs> on on all this other shit. Huh. 
And, and did that turn out to be true? It, they're very, very, very kind of brutal with their feedback, Russians. They're great. And they offered me what they offered John Bernthal as well, which is we'll take you to Moscow and you do the three years and we'll change your life. But I just kind of didn't want to do that. Really? And then... Why, you thought you'd had enough? You thought I, you got the hang of it? I wanted to teach Shakespeare. You wanted to teach Shakespeare? That's what my big plan was. I'd be a college professor. And so I went to Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, to do the Alabama I like Shakespeare, that town. it's a great town. Uh, the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, uh-huh. and so I got into grad school there, and I was just too young, you know, twenty-two to go to grad school for Shakespeare. Did you have that big a handle on Shakespeare? Did you get it? I, I loved it and I got it, but everybody else in the program was thirty years old. Oh, so you weren't? It would have been uphill slog. Yeah, they, you know, they wouldn't have respected you. I dropped out in like three months and kind of went back to Mumbai. Yeah, dejected or ready to go? Very dejected. Mm. Because you didn't have a plan anymore. And also for Indians, a college dropout kid is not a happy scene. But you did know? you tell them it was from Shakespeare teaching? <laughs> well, also, I'd kind of met a girl and my parents knew that's what was up. Like, that's and, why I was coming back. She oh, was how'd back you meet her? I met her in between undergrad and grad school. You in went America. back? Oh, in America? Yeah. And then she went back and I, I just kind of followed her back. She met Indian here? Yeah, I met an Indian here, and then she went back to Delhi, and I went back to Delhi okay. after a while. How long did that last? Uh, five years. That's it was a pretty good run. <laughs> it was a good run. So, so there you are. You're in, you're in. Were you in New Delhi? I was in New Delhi, and then I, I did like a stand-up show, and it sold out. Strangely, because there was nobody under thirty doing stand-up. It was this very kind of posh. You know, upper crust, high society thing. Yeah. At least in English. Yeah. And so there wasn't a kid who was just talking about his balls or saying the F word or whatever. And so college kids showed up and they were like, fuck, this guy's 23 or 24 and he does, he talks like us. And so 400... you doing Indian jokes? I was was doing Indian jokes, but in English and we have the largest English audience in the world. Yeah. Do you you have a second language? I I speak Hindi. Yeah. So I, I do movies in Hindi in India, but I... Uh, yeah, I, I do stand up in English because yeah. I think in English. Yeah, and so then that started to move a little you bit. Think in English. I think in English. Really? Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it I means... like it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's your default setting, right? I have options to because I come from a country where well, tell me a billion difference. people think in Hindi. Well, think it like what? Like it's a processing thing. If you're thinking, I got to go outside right now. Yeah, that's an English thought in your head. Right? Well, what, but it exists in Hindi, doesn't it? It exists in Hindi, but uh, for most people, that's a Hindi thought. Oh, I see. So the inner monologue is Hindi. So somehow or another, English hijacked your Hindi. English hijacked my Hindi. It's it's the first <laughs> language my my parents spoke. It's a it's a weird thing because we have a complicated relationship with with English in India, right? Because we're the largest English audience in the world, by the way. Is that true? Two hundred and sixty million people speak English <laughs> in India. That's bigger than America's English audience. Every time I hear about the population of in India, I'm like, <laughs> where are they putting everybody? And then you talk about it. They're, like, they're just out in the streets sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And But we are kind of judgmental about English because it's it's taught to us by colonizers. Yeah. Right? So yeah. There's, there's a complicated sentiment there with an English artist where you're immediately perceived as privileged or yeah. pandering or Western. Yeah. And ironically, uh, that got in the way of my stand-up a little bit because they were like, oh, he speaks English and he's kind of privileged and snotty. That's funny. It's like an Al Madrigal bit. You ever hear that Al Madrigal bit where he's talking about uh, performing for for a Mexican audience? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but I think the comic before him performed in Spanish. Okay. And he came out and he's doing uh, uh, English jokes. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I don't remember how someone in the audience realizes it, but like, he doesn't speak Spanish! <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of run him off the stage. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> So for me, what happened was when I got into like controversy uh, and like everything kind of gets yanked away from you, that's when people were like, oh, he's fucked in every language. Like it doesn't matter whether he speaks English or not. So now, because his privilege is gone, we can actually listen to his jokes. Oh, who, th this is the people just, that judge you before. Yeah, like the audience was just like, they oh, They decided he's... you were uh, of another, you were uh, condescending. Yeah. But but that that first gig, you know, that's what sort of got you the bug. Yeah. You know, like you sold out just because you were a young Indian guy. Yeah. And you were much. talking about the young Indian guy experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where it takes off. How do you start getting movie parts? I How do you start doing more stand-up? I, I, I got a gig in Mumbai hosting like an award ceremony, like okay. an MC gig. Yeah. And the next morning, the guys who ran our biggest newspaper called me into their office. Yeah. And they were like, we want to make you a VJ. And I'm like, what the fuck is a VJ? And yeah. Like, you're going to introduce songs on right. music TV. And moved to Mumbai in a week. Mm. And it did. And that lasted about five minutes because I sucked yeah. uh, at being a VJ. It's like the, the most horrible job. Unless you, unless you have some freedom to, to talk. <laughs> but just like introducing songs or video clips, the worst. And just me with sleeveless cutoff shirts and oh. like henna tattoos and spiked up hair. And oh, you got pictures of that? <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... I think I was fired in like six or seven months and I was a big Daily Show fan. Like John Stewart, sure. big influence. Yeah. And on my friend's like kitchen table, I ended up shooting like a news comedy pilot. Yeah. Just like me doing the news. Yeah. And CNBC picked me up. Weird, really. And so at age 26, yeah. uh, at the end of the primetime bulletin, for the last three minutes, I, I got to go on every night and kind of do three minutes of stand up about the news. In America. Uh, no, it, here. Uh, in, in, India has its own CNBC. Oh, okay. So I did that for about five years. and Oh, that must have been in, in building an audience. Building an audience, yeah. getting corporate gigs because everybody watches. Making money. Making money at yeah. the age of, you know, 26, yeah. which is great. And then I saw a movie, um, a Bollywood movie called Rang De Basanti. And it, it's important because, you know, Hindi movies were always like beautiful leading man, beautiful leading woman. And then everybody else had kind dancing. of dancing, everything. And then everybody had really small parts. Yeah. But this was an ensemble of city kids where people kind of look like me. Yeah. You know, and, and they weren't necessarily six foot four and muscular and amazing. And I was like, oh, shit is changing. I want to try and get in the movies. Now. Yeah. Um, so I quit CNBC and gave myself like a year to become an actor and to get movies. Because you had the chops, right? You knew how to act. You, I knew you, how to act, You yeah. learned from the Russians. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. And, so, and I've used none of that acting training. It's uh, in there. It's in there. Yeah. I mean, I, how can you not use it? I mean, my first first uh, Bollywood movie is a leading man. Yeah. Right? You have to do the songs because that's part of our culture. You and dance? Of, yeah. Hmm. And so 
was on top of a piano in a chiffon shirt yeah with, with six wind <laughs> wind blowers fucking pointed at my nipples and my shirt is fluttering yeah, yeah. as some ladies running towards me yeah. allegedly in slow motion but she's actually sprinting yeah. for camera yeah i'm not using stanislavski in that you, moment you're not believing the script <laughs> no i'm not i don't have an inner monologue except for fuck 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 look at me what am i doing <laughs> so but were you popular uh as a as an actor i got lucky like my third film really blew up yeah and then how many did you do i've done 17 movies uh <laughs> you know but that's crazy but maybe four as a leading man you know and then i'm still on, but yeah. like you know after like that third movie you're on the streets and people are like hey yeah yeah i mean people know who you are sure. after a movie and it was this young it was like It was like our lock stock and two smoking barrels okay. like a cult comedy okay. you know like yeah. very guy richy yeah. and it was called delhi belly delhi belly and, and that was your third movie that was my third movie and that blew the hell up it was yeah. a big hit with all 260 million people with all 200 no yeah uh, more. Uh, it was dubbed more. in hindi too so it was a big audience so right? it was like what how many billion well maybe like I want to say 500 million people might have seen that movie yeah because like it's india right everybody goes right everybody goes that's our thing <laughs> That's our thing. That's, That's our Sunday. That's crazy. That's our Sunday. That's crazy. So now you can you have a certain amount of notoriety. Yeah. You can start performing these these big shows. I Or did you when did you get away from stand up for I, a few years? I got away from stand up. I just let it go for six years. You just did the chiffon shirt thing? I did the chiffon shirt <laughs> and thing. And the dancing <laughs> and the wheatgrass smoothie and the and the two cell phones and the sunglasses oh, yeah. in airports. I, We call that the Aziz here. <laughs> I got lost lost yeah. in that shit. No shit. Yeah, like heavily lost. Oh boy, did you buy a nice car? I bought a nice car. Which kind? Uh I got a Range Rover. Oh, that's nice. That's real reasonable. And then kind of stopped reading the scripts a little bit and I was like who's the studio, who's the director? Kind uh-huh. of got into that zone a bit. Oh, but you came a full on uh, douchebag. Full. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then had it yanked away. What do you mean? Uh there's a movie that was It's called Masti Zade, and it was kind of the biggest studio movie I'd ever done. Yeah, biggest budget, and it, just a horribly regressive kind of sex comedy script. Okay, and and you uh, did it, and I did it for yeah. the cash. Yeah, and it crashed and burned. And did you get flack? Flack and phone stopped ringing. Really? Because I wasn't dependable, right? Uh, I didn't bring in people on a Friday. Oh so you couldn't sell tickets. You weren't a draw. I weren't a draw. I wasn't a draw as a leading man. And and that movie did you win? That movie kind of did me. But as, was as it a, was was there a a a a process? Like I mean was it was it uh, there was there, uh, several movies in a row or just yeah, one? It was about four or five movies in a row. And oh. and you can't plan They kept giving you the shot. They kept giving me the and, and and it was it reeked of somebody who was doing movies he wouldn't watch. Huh. So he was doing scripts that he didn't respect. So you know, so now you're out. So now you're out, and I was doing stand up like once. Did you have to get rid of one of your cell phones. One of my cell phones, uh, and, and then Range Rover, <laughs> and that's when I was like, "Let's go to America and see what's up," because <laughs> the phone isn't ringing here, uh, and <laughs> it's ironic because CAA had signed me at kind of the peak of the Bollywood thing, right? CAA, yeah, and so they were like, "He's this big Bollywood guy. We're going to bring him over," and I didn't have the heart to tell them not so much anymore. <laughs> Good. Fuck them. Yeah, but now let's come over yeah. and take meetings in LA. How'd that go? I went over to the Laugh Factory while I was taking yeah. meetings and I was doing generals. 
And I hadn't taken stand-up seriously in a really long time. I did like seven minutes, I think between two killer acts. I don't remember who they were. And went really well. And I had this kind of undeniable, oh man, I, f- I feel better about this than I have about anything in the last five years. Well, you probably loved it to begin with. I did, yeah. but I'd let it go. And, yeah. and then I was like, oh, this is where they're good at this, English stand-up. So I need to start spending time here. Yeah, we invented it. <laughs> well, you and the British. You got to give the British mm. a little bit of credit. Not for stand-up. Not, yeah, but, but for, for, comedy? Com- for sure. comedy, for sure. Yeah. And then I spent a year just kind of traveling the States. You know, so then doing improvs in tiny clubs and... But you were know, you pandering? For sure. In that moment. Just trying to figure it out. No, I get it. But, like, I was just curious. So did you did you use the model of the, uh, uh, the sort of uh, new-to-America Indian caricature of yourself or not? No, I, I, at that point, it was literally just the the 400 Indian people in town that were coming to see you. So they're still all Indian? So still all Indian at that moment in time. Well, that's good. You know, so, so then you don't have to pander so much. Yeah. You're kind of giving them a reunion with home. Sure. So they've come to you to so you can tell them about home. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of a vibe. Yeah. So I did that for about a year and then Netflix kind of came into my life yeah. and said, let's do a special. Right. You know. And that was the first one? That was the first one. And then that kind of started bringing American audiences to the show. But, but that's interesting because like that, like we were talking about before with YouTube and Netflix and everybody's watching is that, you know, you now, you can, if you do a Netflix special in the United States, you can, you can gain legitimacy internationally. In yeah. India, yeah. you, you know, they watch, uh, they watch it. Yeah. And you're not beholden to the Indian entertainment system. No. Not at all. Yeah, and you you can sell tickets kind of everywhere. I, sometimes I feel like American comics underestimate how many tickets they can actually sell across the world if they have a Netflix special. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll look at American comics who have a Netflix special and be like, "Why aren't you touring more across the world?" Because you could. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just sort of like, but yeah, I could, but I'm okay. No, I get it. <laughs> Do you not? Are you not a like? I want to go to Europe, guy. Or I wanna... No, I go. I was uh, the last tour. I went to. Uh, I went to Dublin. I went to. That's lovely. Yeah, I love it. I went to London. I was there for a few shows, and then I've been up to Amsterdam. I've been to Sweden. I've been to Norway and stuff. I would do that, but that's sort of like I got to. You know, I got to take a month. Yeah. Like I, I don't love being away for a long time. I get it. Yeah. But uh, but it was fine. It was a good experience. Like I love international travel. Like that's my yeah. I'm very happy. Where haven't you gone? I think South America. That's the only continent I haven't kind of performed on. Uh huh. But I've gone everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And you love it always. I do. I Why? Do. What do you still? Is it still mostly English? It's all English, and uh, I think it's childhood. You know, I was I was in boarding school, and then. When I was 14 through 18, I stayed with my grandparents in Delhi. Yeah. And which is not a great time to put a kid in a room with like two 80-year-olds, yeah, right? Right, sure. We were just kind of free. Yeah. And they had a house where um, one set of their kids was in Amsterdam. My parents were in Africa and Nigeria still. Yeah. My sister was in uh, in college in two different cities and my yeah. cousins were in America. Yeah. And everybody was kind of transiting in and out of this one house. And I'd go to the airport to pick these people yeah. up. So I just ended up spending a day a week or two days a week at the visitor's lounge. In the airport. In the airport. And then here are these people who come in from somewhere else and 
smell different and look different yeah, and, and yeah. their luggage looks strange and their clothes are kind of different than mine there's something different about sure. them and i'm like i'm i'm going to be somebody that people wait for at an airport somewhere yeah. you know i'll be the guy who's different so you're you're just curious you know there's a Very, big world out there yeah so now as you're growing up you see the political climate changing yeah how aware are you of that I mean, when you're on the not not just as a kid, but when you're on the top of the world with your Range Rover and you're not at all at that moment in time, because you're not even saying anything remotely honest in your stand-up at that moment. So and also, but you're living the dream, right? So yeah. you like you know, it's all working for you. And it's uh, it was just a different time, I think, in terms of you know, if you talk about like 2014 or 12 or, or yeah. 10. In India, it was very chilled out. Like, you know, uh, and then I think in the world, this kind of, you know, super right and then also super sensitive wave happened. It's about a six-year-old wave, I want to say. Sure. Who was the president before? uh, Well, we have a prime minister. Prime minister before. uh, uh, His name was Manmohan Singh. Yeah. Supremely intelligent man, great man, very quiet. So the joke about him, like the Bill Clinton joke, was that he was horny all the time. Yeah. The Manmohan Singh joke was that he just says nothing. Yeah. You know? But I, it was a common thing to do, you know. But was there any sense, because there's no new guy, his name Modi? Yeah. yeah. They, was there any sense when you were growing up that there was going to be this nationalism, that there was going to be this right wing um, No, I think, I, I think we didn't expect it much like the rest of the world didn't expect it, you mm. know. Except for those who knew. Except for those who knew, yeah. Uh, right. So so was it was it a simmering reaction like when when he took power because he's not unlike trump mm-hmm. uh, except that everybody seems to like him yeah he's very effective at what he does in how is he how is he that the, what what is what is he doing culturally the is he making it more conservative is he anti-gay is he anti what is he trying to he's make actually it? not doing anything culturally that's the that's the thing about a prime ministerial or a parliamentary system right right where the prime minister kind of gets to just focus on uh, projects, infrastructure, blah, 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 blah. And then there's a very big cabinet that does things. Right, okay. Right? So, so where is it taking India? I I don't know. I, I, but I mean, what is he like? Because like, you know, when you say someone's like Trump, you know, that, that indicates something. So what is, what are the two opposing forces within the culture right now? Because you speak it, of it, I, but you speak about class. I think it's it's about extreme progress and a defining moment at, at the worldwide table versus human rights. Versus, uh, you know, uh, you know, dealing culture with poverty. Or, or dealing with poverty or a conversation around privilege or class or mm. oppression. Mm-hmm. Now, with you guys, you've kind of hit the top of the mountain progress wise. Mm. You know, so you're not that's not around the corner from you guys. You no, we're, ta- now we're going down the other side. Well, you, you still have time and the luxury of focusing on this conversation. Yes. But right now, if you look at somebody in India and you're like, we're going to be the third largest economy in the world soon. Yeah. We're going to be at every global table, etc. Yeah. Do you really want to focus on all this other stuff? Is the popular narrative. Which Mo- other stuff? Uh, uh, human poverty. rights. Uh, po- uh, poverty. I mean, less and less Indians are poor every year, uh-huh. right? Under his government. You know, more and more hospitals. But what's are the percentages though? That when you have like a, how many billions of people? We have one point four billion. Okay, people. so like all right, so less and less. So less and less, right? But then, do you want to talk about minorities? Do you want to talk about all these other things? It's the the classic. Does a full stomach also mean a full conscience? Mm. You know, conversation. Right. But now, what about? Tell me the dynamic with Pakistan. I I don't think it's 
so much of a hot dynamic anymore. It used to be about 10 years ago. Pakistan's kind of imploded on itself in the last like 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like I saw, geez, I saw a photograph of their prime minister. His name is Imran Khan. Decent guy walking around with a bucket over his head, like to parliament, mm. like a bulletproof bucket and like four guys with bulletproof shields around him. Not great. Not a great visual for the ex-leader of a country. So mm. I think they have big problems just internally right now. We're not a problem for each other. From uh, from uh, uh, tribal warfare? Within? From tribal warfare, and I think the army runs their country. Their president is just sort of a sitting mm. puppet for the army. So how does it get to a point where, you know, you do these few specials, you yes. tour internationally. Mm -hmm. You don't do movies anymore? I do, but less. I'm giving stand-up time uh, in these years. Well, yeah, right. So the last special uh, landing is a you know, you know sort of a, a reaction, yes, and a deconstruction of the event that uh, that got you uh, uh, outlaw status, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I guess is you've got. Is it still? No. Uh, All right. Well, so because I watched the two Indias. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I w not being Indian, I yeah. watch that and, you know, given the reaction to it, I'm like, what did I miss? Yeah. So, hey, man, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so explain the what the, uh, the two Indias was and why you did it. Okay. It was at the end of a special? It was at the end of, uh, I'd performed at the Kennedy Center. So I'd done 90 minutes of stand-up. Yeah, it's right? a good, good room. I've, I've done that place. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's a really strange thing. Like, I... I'd done like 10 YouTube videos like that before. You know, just kind of pieces and, and spoken word pieces, etc. Spoken word, almost poems about the the class differences. The class differences, about privilege. I'd done a bunch of those videos. And this one, um, you know, it's weird how I'd done all of these videos yeah. over three years. Yeah. And then suddenly people start calling you brave, but you're just doing the same thing that you've always done. But shit around you has changed. But and there's no fuck you to it. No, there's nothing to it. It's, I mean, it's a, there's not. It's not like incendiary. It was just, I think, a timing, and it was more about how people were feeling at that time rather than what I said. But here's the story, right? So I'm, I'm at the Kennedy Center. I've I've sold it out, and my wife and me are doing like a tour of DC in the yeah. morning, and we're, it's week six of a tour. Yeah. Missing home. Yeah. You know, we both yeah, want to sure. go home and have some Indian food and, yeah, and you know, be in our yeah. house. And we see all these monuments and at about 2 p.m. I write this piece over lunch, right? Yeah, and yeah. I go to my wife, Shivani, and I'm like, should I do this? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> what could go wrong? Right? Yeah. And I'm like, we need somebody to film this for my YouTube. And we find a wedding photographer on Yelp mm -hmm. who's free on Friday or whatever and we pay him 300 bucks to show up yeah and we lay my cell phone down on the Kennedy Center stage and just hit record and we filmed it and we put it up and it was about the duality in a nation and it was about the light and the dark and it was about not getting lost in the darkness but remembering you know who we are and it ended in a good round of applause I put it up on my YouTube and it got something like three or four million views overnight, which was unusual for me. Yeah. Um, and then I think we all have the crazy news channel. You know, like you guys have your Fox TV, yeah. etc. Yeah. We've got like three of those. You have three of them. We have three of them, yeah. Now, is it like before you go on, is it like, because I'm trying to make a connection with this, this with the Indian Prime Minister. Is there a, a racial problem in India? No. There's none of that? that no. It's Okay, go ahead. You know, and... 
they took two, three lines and kind of put them up on news bulletins. And so looking for clickbait? Looking for clickbait. Yeah. And they found it. And then suddenly I was the number one trend in the country for, I want to say three weeks, three and a half weeks. Okay. Right. And then. So what happens when you get back? So I have to leave in like a week, right? So Leave uh, the States. Leave the States because my visa is expiring. And I get a call from my lawyer saying these investigations are going to come against you. So people are filing police complaints. For, for what? For defamation. Defamation of the country? Yeah. Right. So who files a complaint like that? I mean, you can walk into a police station and file any complaint. It's the police's job to honor it or not honor it. Right. But this is like, but that's not the way it works here, really. I think it's a different system where the average civilian can walk into a police station and say, I want to complain about this. And a policeman has to write it down. Whether it has legal merit or not, the policeman will decide. Holy shit. Like, uh, like, I, you know, some places in America can't even get a cop to do anything. Right. So. So people do that in 15 different places in the country. Now, was that organized? I I don't know till date. It's a very weird thing, and I'll tell you why, all right? Um, this starts to happen in like the first three or four days of this being on the news. Uh-huh. The video gets shared 35 million times or something mm. like that. Largely domestically, by the way. It's not a video that's actually watched abroad. So the in, allegation... In India. In India. So the allegation that you've done this abroad, it's actually a domestic video on some right. reason. And, 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 and I, given the numbers we've been talking about, not incredibly popular. Not incredibly... <laughs> <laughs> Only 35 million. I know, right? It's, it's, it's a drop, right? Um, and my lawyer is like, it's a seven-day cycle on mainstream news. If you're still on the mainstream news on day eight, you're fucked. Um, so you got, you, I just need you to shut up for seven days. Were you talking? No. I was saying nothing. Phones were so off. were you freaking out? Yeah, I was getting death threats. My, you know, I, I was, I had, I got like 50,000 death threats, you know, in that week. Where? It's, on the YouTube comments? Uh, on my email, uh, through my website, all of that but stuff. But see, like, what, what, I don't. What, but so this is nationalism, is yeah. what those are the people that are sending those things. Yeah. And what is that? Now, you're telling me that nationalism in India is rooted in progress. It, there must be something else driving it. I, I think. Is there something religious driving it? No, because I, I didn't actually bring up religion at all. In yeah, but my that case. doesn't matter. But, who, who, but what's making these people so pissed off? I think it's because I had a reputation of being in a group of artists that's also kind of anti establishment. And comedians are considered anti-establishment. Anti-establishment well. meaning anti this regime, anti-regime, etc. Which okay, comedians okay, okay. are painted as right. Right. Okay. Um, so you're scared to death. Yeah, in, of course. In, in those moments, the worst. And then on day six, yeah, like somebody turned a light switch off. I was off the news. It, it, it's like it was machinery. Huh. Like somebody turned the machine off. And so we landed in India on day five. And yeah. we were expecting there to be policemen and all of yeah. that stuff. Nobody at the airport. There were 200 photographers waiting for me. And I yeah. ain't, I ain't that kind of famous, you know. Yeah. And so then we just kind of put our phones off and went underground for three months, my wife and me, really. And Because whether it was on the news or not didn't matter. There was a momentum to it. There was a momentum to it. I had to wait for it to die. And then... Like on the street and stuff? Yeah, I was I was a little bit worried about going outside, etc. And And so you... You almost put yourself in this bubble and you don't know how people feel about you. And you 
at some level one day you feel like the center of the universe and yeah. the next day you're strangely humbled because it just all went away in like 30 seconds so did it really happen were you really national news you don't know it's it's a weird or or or, or worse uh you know is that what the news is is that what the news is right <laughs> so you're living in a reality you don't quite fucking understand yeah. in that moment and i think when i wrote my first joke about it because i knew i had to talk about it you know, of course, I mean, it was your life. It, it was you're my a, life. Your guy, you're a talk about your life guy. Yeah, I am. And, and then I think I came back to Mumbai three months later. And when I started talking about it, that's when I just kind of met people. And most regular people were just like, yo, that was a crazy fucking month. And I have bills to pay and I have to go now. Sure. And that, you know. So in your mind, you know, you were speaking as an individual uh, Indian, you know, in relation to the world that you see. Yeah. In, in a f- free thinking kind of way. Yeah. But, you know, certainly not in a, you know, let's fight the power way. No. But, but you know, you, you do fall into this sort of uh, coincidental, uh, you know, almost hero status for speaking truth against power. Well, I, I mean, there's... Nothing more annoying than being painted with that status. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm going to be honest. You because, know, because it wasn't your intention. It wasn't my intention. And also, th- there's no way to go from that status. No, but yeah, either you got to pick up the sword or you got to go hole up for three yeah, months. Yeah, exactly. Just, but I don't get to do dick jokes immediately after that status. So I don't get to be silly immediately after no, that status. No, 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 no. You, know? you, you got to figure out, you got to give enough time so you can do the serious joke and then the dick joke. Like, it, you know, the st- the, your classic structure. Yeah. So I, I had to kind of say okay the first thing that I say about it has to be really really fucking funny yeah and I, at no moment can I lionize myself or victimize myself so it's a weird you kind of really learn what being a comic is for the first time uh-huh. where you have to shoot for funny first etc and so it was a weird one to figure out but man. it's just interesting in a country here like in America where people talk about not being able to say things you know and, and like you know, it, it, which is bullshit you can yeah. kind of say whatever you want but you know, you like you know, you literally had uh, your home country was uh, you know filing claims against you. Well, I, I have what might not be a very popular thought on that American sentiment uh, about not being able to say things. I, yeah. I don't think, if we're being honest about it, yeah. going to jail means you're not able to say things. That's you right. Know, uh, going to a police station or spending all of your money on lawyers every single day means you're not being able to say things. Being worried for your safety on the street means you're not able to say things. But complaining that people are going to get upset at you online or, you know, yeah. be mean to you, etc. in the comments, that's not complaining that you can't say things. That's complaining that other people also get to say things. Sure. About absolutely. what you say. I agree with that. You know? Yeah. But you came up against something different. Yeah. That, you know, uh, I, I, it's interesting because I didn't know the scope of it. But, you know, but the prime minister never stepped in. Oh, no. No. And did the government step in? They never would. Never officially. And and to that point, the most dangerous guy in the room is not the guy with power. It's the guy who's two degrees of separation away from power. Wait, the guy who's who's going to do something at the behest of the power because he thinks he's entitled to do that. Yeah, that's the most dangerous guy sure, in the world. Sure, your neighbor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the, who's filing complaints. It's not the government. They got shit to do. Hmm. You know, but it's somebody who's looking for their attention. And then it becomes news. And then it becomes news. So how did do you find that you were engaging with Indians on both sides of, of the you problem any more than you did before? I 
think the special coming out on Netflix really helped in terms of the put new one. The new one. Landing, put, yeah. Put a perspective out there and also, you know, give people enough time. There's enough cycles then. Yeah. And also, strangely enough, what happened is every issue that I talked about in the video kind of came true. You know, just in terms of there were lots of stories in all of those veins. So a lot of people were like, yeah, he's he's kind of... Right. Right. And then the two Indias sort of meme or uh, all of that stuff became something that people started using a lot, you know? So... Oh, when they're talking about when they it? Were t- it was just so annoying, man. And that like, was your thing? N- it, no, not because it was my thing. No, no, but it's your, your me, it, it, the the concept of the two Indias being popularized was <laughs> yeah. you. It, no, it existed before me, but like I just got gotten done getting trolled, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Like, so now for, it's kind of, yeah. So like five weeks into me, just like everything's peaceful. Everything's great. The leader of the opposition goes on the floor of parliament and he's like, there are two Indias. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Now we have to do that. Or then somebody says it on the news. And but then, but yeah, but it's not you. And also that, you know, that, that, that's what you want to happen. In a perfect universe. No, but yes. I just mean that's yeah. the risk of speaking truth to power or speaking about politics publicly. Yeah. Is that, you know, you have something you're relating to people. Mm-hmm. That that is uh, uh, about humanity and inhumanity in relation to to government, and you know you want to that you're putting it out there so people will see it differently. It's a, a double-edged sword in that you don't get to predict when you create the conversation, right? I, I get uh, that, but you definitely facilitated. You know that enough time has passed, mm-hmm. enough people have seen it for you for people to th- you know, kind of go like, oh, it's kind of. Like what he said. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe we need to, you know, sort of make this more visible or talk about it in a different yeah. way. That's what you want. That, that's what you want. And, and also you you have to accept humbly that you cannot control where this conversation right. goes. Right. And right? also you can't say like, I didn't mean to, you know, no, start no. any shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. You, you can't go because you did the video, right? You, right. You, you but did I, I, sadly, I, I think there is some part of us as comics where it's sort of like, I didn't really want to cause any trouble. <laughs> And then when it happens, you're kind of like, oh, fuck. So now this is real. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a weird thing where you walk out on stage now and they were coming, you know, to just have a good time earlier on. But now they're coming with just 20% more emotion. Yeah. You know, they're a little bit more invested in you. Right. And you have a responsibility. And you have a responsibility. And also, they're dying to see you talk about it. Yeah. And where do you put it in your set? Just structurally, sure. even that's a tough question, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I put it nine minutes into my special. Sure. And I spent three minutes on it. It's so funny because it's like, you know, really, and I, and I just mean this in, in a nice way, but it, you, only Indians know about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a big fucking deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. And like, you know, when I watch that special, I honestly, and I don't know if you cut it right or if it was the appropriate reaction, but there's a beat in that special outside of the two Indias. Were you just talking about, like, um, you're talking about the two buckets. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that was really your life or if that <laughs> is the life, uh, but it, it, it is something that is real. Yeah. And there were two guys up front that just went over. They yeah. just kind of, like, yeah. it killed them. Yeah. And I thought it was so specific, but, you know, the the identifying with it was so perfect. Yeah. It was great to see, you know. The bucket bath. Yeah. Mark, you got to try a fucking bucket, a bucket bath. bath. Well, and there's a lot of guys getting barrels now at ice. No, no, no. no the bucket bath. One hot, one cold. And like in thinker position on your knee, 
putting a, a hot like just boiling hot water on your and having <laughs> it run down your back yeah. it'll beat any shower in your life oh, I yeah, promise yeah. it's, oh, so it's amazing it's, it's a good thing it's a damn good thing and uh, so what happens now what are you doing here now I just promoting the thing just promoting the thing and then um, I'm writing while I'm in LA I'm just in two writers rooms for stuff that I'll hopefully get to be in oh really you know? yeah like what um, I have a, a sitcom that's in development at Fox oh yeah that I'll, I'll hopefully get to start in you know but what is that is that is that you as an uh, uh, Indian who lives in America it's uh, it's me coming over and being a country music star from India uh-huh. uh, it's called Country Eastern and are there country music, music stars in yeah, India yeah and I'm in a band I've been in a band for 10 years and everything we do is kind of country blues sure influenced yeah me too yeah and so uh, it, it's a music show okay. that's in development okay. and then okay. I, I might do a rom-com here okay. soon as an Indian guy who lives in America as an Indian guy who lives in America but as a so now they don't want you there. We got to deal with you? <laughs> well, I got some Bollywood <laughs> stuff as well, my friend. Uh, I'll keep the lights on everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of Bollywood stuff coming up? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm ironically playing a nationalistic journalist in my next project. So that well, that's be, good. Yeah, so that should be Mix fun. it up. Yeah, it's like a newsroom kind of a you know, piece. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good talking to you. It's good to see nice you. Nice to sir. meet you. Yeah, man. Okay, Das. that was a nice talk. His tour dates and tickets are available at Virdas.in. And hang out a minute, I've got a surprise for you. Hey, look, I'm sure you take a lot of vitamins. Maybe you take a daily multivitamin. Maybe you take ones to boost your immunity or ones to help with alertness. What about your cells? Are you giving your cells the full nutrition they need, especially as we age? I am, thanks to Solgar. Solgar is part of my daily routine, thanks to their cellular nutrition line. Give yourself a daily collection of nutrients designed to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more and use promo code MarkMarin, all one word, to get 20% off. Okay, so last week, this is, this is pretty great, people. Last week, I spent 90 minutes with William Shatner, and um, I got a real kick out of the guy, and you'll hear the full episode this Thursday, but I figured, why not give you a, a little taste? Why not just... Give you a little right now. I'm a big cooker. Well, I cook. What the fuck? Yeah. I, I, I said, is there anything to eat there? And your your lady said, no, there's, a, you know. Oh. Well, I mean, it's my house. I mean, it's it's limited so to I what I have. A, Do you want I me got, to? I got a biscuit and some jam. Do you want? And I got, <laughs> Do you want... but great coffee. But that I, place. I, I wouldn't have been able to provide a biscuit or jam. Okay. Why uh, not? Because I, I don't have those. I have toast. I could make a toast. Yeah, toast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they had a biscuit, so I said, "Yeah, I'll take the biscuit." It was all dry, it was cold. And I thought, why didn't I have to? Why didn't I ask them to heat it up? And the butter was cold, so you couldn't spread the butter. And I'm afraid of choking. Are you afraid of choking? Yeah, sure. I'm afraid of a lot of things. Yeah, like me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to go to sleep. <laughs> I am too. You are. Well, my shoulders bother me. Yeah. We're posting that full episode on Thursday, and as always, if you want an ad-free WTF experience with new episodes and every episode in the archives, sign up for WTF+. Plus. Click on the link in the episode description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. Here's some sloppy fast guitar. Sloppy and fast. 
Frankie and LaFonda, Cat Angels, every 